Listen. Welcome to the Dotcast from Nine Dots. Nine Dots is the online learning community for wedding photographers. You can preview all our members' own content and grab a ticket to our annual conference, the Nine Dots Gathering, at nine-dots.co. Hello, if you're new here, and welcome back if you're a regular Dotcast listener. I'm Adam Johnson, one of the co-founders of Nine Dots, along with Andy Gaines and Rahul Kona. This is the second series of Dotcast episodes. In the first series, you got to know me, Rahul and Andy, and now I'm introducing you to some of the amazing members of the Nine Dots community. On this episode, I'm talking to Ronan Palliser, who is based in Dublin, Ireland. Ronan is well known for his extreme passion for off-camera flash through his sub-brand, A Shot in the Dark, and he spoke about this when he presented at the 2018 Nine Dots Gathering. Ronan is also a brand ambassador for Fujifilm as one of their ex-photographers, and I'll ask him about how he came to shoot Fuji, as well as what it means to him to be an ex-photographer. You'll also hear how Ronan brings 12 speed lights with him to every wedding. I'll ask him what triggered his love of flash and whether he's ever used all 12 on a single shot. He's also talk about how he plans to evolve his work when weddings finally get back to normal. As always, any questions, comments or suggestions, send them over. You can find Nine Dots on Instagram or Facebook or send us an email to hello at nine-dots.co. Enjoy this episode of the Dotcast. Knowing me, Adam Johnson, knowing you, Ronan Palliser. Aha. Aha. Sunny Dublin. Is it sunny in Dublin today? It is sunny in Dublin, yeah. We had Storm Ellen, was it, passed through a couple of days ago. But yeah, no, it's sunny and bright and nice and a bit chilly, but good. Dry. Dry is good. It's uh, absolutely pouring with rain here in Manchester. Oh, okay. Well, we sent you that, I think. (laughs) We had that last night. Thanks very much. So I won't be playing tennis today. So that's uh, put a big spanner in the works of my day. But no, welcome to the Dotcast. You, I mean, I'm well known for being a, a, a massive Sony fanboy, and that, that's well documented by me, only by me. No, it's not documented by anybody else. Uh, but you are a Fujifilm ex-photographer. I am. I'm not sure we're allowed to talk. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, know. I, I did check with the lawyers before I came on, and uh, it's been approved. Have you always shot Fuji, and how did it come about that you became an ex-photographer? Uh, no, so I was always a Nikon shooter, um, right up to 2016. Um, it's funny, actually, a Facebook memory popped up for me recently, which was when I bought a Fuji X100, the original X100, which is their fixed frame, um, 35 millimeter or fixed lens, 35 millimeter camera. And I bought that. I, I don't know when it came out, so it might be eight or nine years ago. And I loved the look of it. I loved the style of it. I loved the dials and the manual na- nature of it. But it was rubbish. Um, it couldn't focus on anything that had any movement whatsoever. So I had it for about uh, six months and I sold it on. And uh, I kind of always liked it, but I just forgot about it. And I think I always had the sense of my work cameras, which was Nikon ultimately ended up being Nikon D750s, but it, you know, it started at Nikon D50 and then D300 and D700 and I had a DF, which I kind of liked the manual controls of that as well. So I'd always had those and they were always like my work cameras and I always kind of wanted a personal camera. So the X100 was kind of supposed to be that and it just didn't live up. And then I think I went into the Olympus uh, OMD, you know, the little micro four thirds, which again, I loved, but, you know, I wasn't using them and I sold them. And then in 2016, they announced, Fuji announced the X-T2. And something about it just, I think I just looked into it and looked up reviews. People were saying this is the first kind of Fuji camera that might be capable for professional work. And I don't, I don't actually know what kind of came over me, but 
in the middle of two weddings. Like I remember I had a, I had a wedding on the 27th of August, I think it was. And I shot it with the two D750s. And I had two weeks and then I had a wedding on something like the 8th of September and the XT2 came out in the middle. And I went in and I bought one. And I came home and I tried it and I tried the focus tests and all the kind of things you do. And I was like, yeah, it seems snappy. I loved the colors on it, which was something I never really loved with Nikon. And before I knew it, between the wedding I shot with the Nikon D750s at the end of August and the wedding I was due to shoot at the start of September, I had traded in my entire bag of Nikon gear and got two XT2s, a bunch of lenses and a flash. And I was like, I remember rocking up to that wedding in September going, what the hell have I done? Like I literally had not, you know, the sensible thing would have been to get a body, get a lens, bring it to the wedding, try it for a few shots, put it back in the bag, go, yeah, I'll try it a little bit more next time and kind of ramp into it. But I literally just fell off the cliff and just was like, no, Nikon is dead to me, embracing the Fuji. And honestly, it took me four months before I was comfortable with the gear I was shooting with. It was a big learning curve, but I, I haven't never looked back. And I think had I not done it that way, I'm not sure I would have fully jumped because I've always struggled shooting two bodies that are different. Even when I had the D D700 and the DF, while I loved both cameras, I hated the fact that they were different bodies and the, you know, the muscle memory and all that kind of stuff. So I think if I had got an X-T2 and was shooting alongside the D750, I don't think I'd have ever fully committed. I think it would have just been too easy to go. No, it's too much, too much of a learning curve back in the bag. That, yeah. So I, I don't really know why I'm a Fuji shooter <laughs> other than. That moment of madness in early September, having read too many reviews or YouTube videos or whatever. Um, but here, here I am. Here I've I am. never noticed as well before today just how much you sound like Dara O'Brien. <laughs> sound like yeah. I don't like him, but sound like him. That's funny. Exactly I'm like not him. sure I agree with that, but maybe that's just you know, I don't know. Maybe I should say you sound like Boris Johnson or something. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was being, I, I was meant it as a compliment. <laughs> okay, I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, I mean, just yeah. the answer about like becoming a Fuji X photographer. I think that's there's there's a lot of I mean there's a, there's a lot of stuff I want to pick up on in what you just said. One is that you uh, you started off with one flash with your Fujis. I mean, we'll we'll end up talking about flash you and flash in, in a while, but starting with one surprises me. Just as a, an aside, I made the similar jump to Sony from Canon. I just went overnight. Was just sold my just ditched my Canons and went all full Sony. And the next wedding I shot was full Sony. How much do you think? Because I would, I would could class you as as one of the more technical photographers, uh, and enjoying yeah. that side of photography, the more technical side of photography. How much do you think? Get, um, I never wanted this podcast to be about like what do you shoot with? Do you shoot RAW or JPEG or all that kind of stuff? But yeah, yeah. how much do you think like gear? Ma- I have an opinion on this, and I'll tell you after you, after I've heard yours. But like, how much do you think gear matters in photography? I used to really think it did until I made the move to mirrorless. I won't say Fuji, but I will say mirrorless and. The reason I kind of think now it's that was a significant change for me is it, it brought about a change in my photographs and it brought about a change in my style, a change in how I try to see light, use light, everything about my photos. Like my website has not, not a single image from pre 2016. That's not because I didn't like those images. It's not because they weren't Fuji images and I'm, you know, under some obligation to be Fuji only on the website. It's just because they're not me now and. When I moved to mirrorless, and I kind of have had this conversation with a few people about saying, oh, I'm thinking of going to Fuji or Sony or whatever. And I'm saying the thing is not the camera. It's not the, the, the type of camera in terms of what, what brand it is. But the fact that you're now going from a, an optical viewfinder where you kind of have to guesstimate what the picture is going to look like to an, an electronic viewfinder, which is showing you exactly what you're going to get. 
that is potentially going to change how you approach your shooting. Um, so in that sense, I think it, it is important. Um, whether it's Fuji or Sony, or being honest, whether it's full frame or crop sensor or medium format, I think is, is a total academic kind of a thing. But I think the mirrorless, the, the revolution that mirrorless has brought about has been more, less about the technology and more about opening people's eyes. And I kind of mean that quite literally to shooting in a way that they wouldn't have normally shot, you know? So one of the things I'll do a lot, and you probably do this too, is I'll deliberately underexpose a scene to see. And in, in, I could have done that with a D750, but I would have been taking a shot and test, oh no, I've gone too far and like, bring it back two stops and test again. Whereas now I'm just turning a dial and I can see in front of me, oh, that looks cool, that looks rubbish, you know, or go the other way and overexpose, you know. So I experiment more um, before I ever take a shot. And I think that's been a big difference. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, fun, it's funny as well, talking about how you, you kind of had the Fuji X100 and liked some stuff about the camera like you liked enough about it but you didn't you, you just felt it wasn't good enough and then that led to you then when when fuji made what was what everybody considered a wedding a, a camera capable of shooting weddings you were like oh i'm gonna go for that because i was a similar with sony really so i had a sony rx1r a camera that i adored but same thing it just sometimes it just wouldn't focus at all yeah. and I, I love the colors and the files and, the, and all the rest of it and thought well i'm getting rid of that because it's so annoying but as soon as sony make a camera that can shoot weddings i'm going to buy it so it's yeah. almost an identical journey in, in a different brand um, it's like it plants a seed i think you know that you kind of have this camera and you you want it to be good and it's just not and you're kind of going okay i'll just kind of keep an eye on that yeah you know and come back to it for me as well is when i mean sony brought out the a7 III, which i shoot with now and i was like oh maybe that's the camera that can shoot weddings the sony's camera that can shoot weddings but at the same time i was uh, and i was always of the opinion that gear doesn't matter a camera's a camera you know, if I've got a camera, I don't need a different camera. I don't need to waste, you know, however much money on switching switching cameras or buying better cameras or whatever. But switching totally changed my own opinion on that because it's exactly the same as you. I realized I was, I was, I felt freer. I don't know. And it wasn't, like you say, it wasn't because it was mirrorless, but there were elements of the camera and the facts that it had an EVF and all, all this that meant I was shooting differently and I was enjoying shooting more. And um, I'd never realized that I was becoming bored with my old cameras, but after switching, I realized I was bored of my old cameras and they weren't inspiring me, whereas this camera felt like it was inspiring me in a different way. Yeah. So I think gear, anyone that says gear doesn't matter, not that they're wrong. <laughs> I was about to say they're wrong. Uh, but it's not that they're wrong. It's just that I think gear does something for you at, at, at a deeper level. It's not about owning that camera. It's just about what it does for you as, an, as a like your creative soul, I guess. Yeah, I think as well, maybe they just haven't had that epiphany yet in that I think for a long time, all cameras were kind of variations on theme. You know, they were like the other example I would put is when when cameras started having flippy screens. And it, it, even for me, I recently got the um, the new X100, which is the X100V, and it has the flippy screen. So that changes how you can compose, and you know, it, it, it's all all those little incremental things. And I think for a long time. A digital SLR was a digital SLR, you know, with a fixed screen on the back and a viewfinder and you put a lens on the front, set your exposure and away you went. And really at that stage, it did not matter. Whereas I think maybe the technology evolutions that have happened in the last five or eight years are just bringing the gear. And in a way, you want the gear to get out of the way, right? You know, like I kind of have this love-hate relationship with being so kind of 
loving my camera, if you like, because in a way I'd like to be able to think I could pick up an iPhone or I could pick up a, a, a 5D and go to the next wedding and do the same quality of work as I do, because it's only the camera. You know, we, we tell everybody it's not the camera, it's the photographer, you know. That, that saying of you must have a really good camera is a way to drive us all mad. So in a way, you want the gear not to be the thing. But I think it's kind of unescapable now that the gear is a factor in how you're going to shoot. I mean, I've always said as well, you need to really trust the camera you've got in your hand to turn what's in your head into the picture that you want it to be as well. So that's that's massive as well. So there, so obviously, then you became a Fujifilm X photographer, which is the Fuji ambassador program for their X cameras. How did that come about? Yeah, sorry, could you say Fuji a few more times? Because every time someone says Fuji, I actually get like 50 euros. So that would be really Yeah, Fuji, Fuji, Fuji. <laughs> no, I joke. So I, I don't really know how it came about. There's a colleague of mine in Galway, Sean McCormack, who is an ex-photographer. And I think he mentioned my name to the person who at the time was coordinating uh, the photographers in Ireland. And I think I probably benefited from the fact that there, I think there was only one other wedding photographer, if I'm right, in Ireland at the time. So it may be that they were kind of on the lookout for another Fuji shooter who they kind of were happy to represent the brand. And I know the night shots and the kind of off-camera flash stuff I do was different. So I think that just helped. But I just got an email at one point saying, we'd like you to submit some images and we're kind of considering expanding our program. And I sent in a kind of portfolio of available light stuff and artificial light stuff. Um, yeah, they liked what they saw. They sent it to Japan, and I think everything goes through Fuji headquarters in Japan. So obviously, they liked what they saw. Um, to be honest, it's it, it's you know it doesn't mean much day to day. I get a fifteen percent discount off here, um, which is nice. Um, but there's nothing else. I buy my own gear. I, you know, I haven't yet. Some I know some UK photographers kind of record videos or go to back when people went to events, go to events and, and things like that. The Irish program never really reached that stage, but I think that might change in the next few months. They're kind of talking about rolling the Irish program and the UK program together. So I'm kind of, I'd like to proceed down that road a little bit with it and, and actually make more use of it other than just when I'm buying a camera that I can kind of get a discount. But it is, it is nice. And it, you know, it's kind of a validation in some ways, you know, it's on my website and I'm not sure clients look at it and think I want to book a Fuji photographer or a Fuji X photographer, but it is just a little stamp of approval, and that's always good, right? Always good. I mean, I think uh, as much as we were talking before about how uh, gear can w- awaken that thing inside of you that, you know, just being excited by your gear or, or you know, whatever, um, I think recognition on any level just gives you that, that extra little confidence boost that I think you need to make your best work. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great recognition of – and also just getting re- recognition from your peers is always nice. If a camera brand says, oh, we're really proud that you shoot our brand of cameras, that's always going to be a nice thing. It's always going to be something that I guess you, you're going to be proud of for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to be associated with it because I do like the gear. And I wouldn't stick with it if I didn't like the gear. So, you know, I think that's the crutch of, a, of being a brand ambassador is the perception that, oh, you're being paid to say these things or you're being paid to shoot that gear or whatever. That's just not the way they run their program. I'm sure other companies may run programs like that but you know there's an ethical thing there too that kind of i'm i I can satisfy myself that i'm you know i'm not crossing any boundaries or or, you know compromising my principles in any way yeah no that's perfect that's exactly the way it should be as well so you obviously and obviously you mentioned within that uh talking about that uh becoming an expert photographer there that as part of your portfolio you sent over some flash shots and anyone who's part of the nine community knows you as ronan 12 flashes palliser 
That's, that's, that's your official your official name now because I mean you've got this kind of and it's it's kind of a sub brand of yours now as well. A shot in the dark. Got it as a website where you give tips and advice on lighting and stuff, but also you do your shot in the dark at every single wedding, and that's kind yeah. of part of the uh, of, of having you as 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 a wedding photographer. Where did that obsession with you mentioned when you bought your Fujis? You bought one flash. How did you come to have a bag full? So I, I, I should clarify on that because at the time I did, I think I had three Nikon flashes with pocket wizards that I didn't sell. So I did, I, I, even when I started shooting Fuji, I had a four, four flash bag, if you like, um, four flashes in the bag. But to go back to kind of question of where did it start from? I think actually I need to blame two people who you might know of, um, David Hobby and Joe McNally. So. David Hobby runs strobist.com, uh, which is a uh, big go-to website to learn anything about flash. Um, and it's what I point people to it every time I'm asked about, you know, how do I learn about balancing exposure or whatever. And like, I'm sure like you, I kind of taught myself photography from the internet, essentially. I did a, I did a course in Dublin Camera Club here many years ago, kind of get the basics, but I did essentially self-teach myself a lot of my photography stuff. And I came across David Hobby's site early on in that. And I just liked the shots he was doing, what he was doing with one flash. Or, you know, he, he sold a kit, which I remember I bought from the US and it was pain because you had to pay duty when it came over and all that. But it was one flash, an umbrella, an umbrella adapter and stand. And it was like 150 euros, something like that. And he had a, he has still this lighting 101 and lighting 102 course that just took you through. Here's the gear. This is what it's for. This is how you connect it up to your camera. This is how you use it. And I just liked it. Um, and I kind of realized actually as part of my involvement in Dublin Camera Club that a lot of people hadn't a clue even of the basics. So I kind of went from being able to take decent headshots and, and, you know, know how to kind of control the flash separate from the camera to teaching people that in the camera club. And I ran a couple of courses in the camera club going back seven, eight years, just passing on that knowledge really. Um, I was shooting weddings at the time and uh, I started getting booked for the full day coverage, you know, where you stay beyond dinner and, and into the evening. And I think it was kind of the uh, coincidence of those two things that I just said, okay, I like doing this for a headshot or for, you know, some kind of portrait. I wonder, could I bring it to use in the wedding when I have a bit of time? Because the thing is, I need time to kind of figure it out and get to grips with it. So the natural lull for me was when the couple were having dinner. I would kind of go and figure out, is there something I can do here? And it kind of started like that. And it started badly. I've shown in nine dots, I've shown the first few shots, you know, where I really thought I was amazing because I got everything to work, but it was looking back and it was terrible. But it was just incremental improvements. And the other name check that I will give is Joe McNally, who is a buddy of David Hobbies and is a National Geographic photographer and has been shooting off-camera flash going back, you know, probably 30 years um, and doing very much environmental portraits where he not just shoots or lights the person, but he lights the environment. And that really clicked with me. And I really loved that idea. Um, and actually in, in recent years, I was lucky enough to do workshops with both David Hobby and Joe McNally. I brought them over to Ireland for the Irish Professional Photographer Association that I'm part of. We know videographer members as well as the IPPBA, but we brought David Hobby over and we brought Joe McNally over in, in separate years. And, I spent a week in their company and like it was just it was you know they said don't meet your heroes but I met my heroes i'd find some heroes and i'd love to do it all over again so i think it was a combination of the technical kind of stuff that david hobby introduced me to and the 
sense of lighting, not just the person, but the environment that Joe McNally introduced me to that just fed into what I was doing at the time of weddings and just trying to just do something a little bit different to what the majority were doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, I think you've made a really amazing point without realizing it there in the middle where you talked about how, because a lot of people say you can't practice at weddings. You have to practice away from weddings and then do the thing at the weddings. But you're talking about this two hour gap in the middle of a wedding day when you're just either sitting there on your twiddling your iPhone or, you know, yeah. having a bit of food or whatever. But you were using that time to practice live in a way and get learn your gear at the, within the pressure of a wedding almost. It just, it, it passes the time as much as anything else, but it also is, you know, it is a good opportunity to just push yourself on something. I, I think I, I couldn't agree more. And I think not enough of us do, do that. And I'm guilty of that myself as much these days. You know, I'll, I'll take my two, full two hour, I'll take my full two hour break and sit down and yeah. check the football news or whatever. But, you know, I, I should, I should do, we should all do that more, I think. How did that then evolve into becoming a real central element of your brand to do these shots in the dark? And to really make that something, because we'll talk about it in a minute, but that's something now that you really make a, a central element of the cell of, of your service. It, so I think, actually, there was a turning point. So I did a shot at a venue down in Cork um, called Maryborough House, where it, it was one of the first shots really for me where I felt this has all kind of come together. You know, So this is probably 2013, 2014. And I did a shot of a couple outside the front of the house. And I, I just, I lit the house, I lit them. And I think I put a flash inside in one of the rooms to make sure that all the window lights were on inside because one of them was off. So it was a very symmetric shot. It's like a front house with steps and a kind of a, a nice ornamental door. And the couple were just at the bottom of the steps. And, you know, it's not, there's nothing particularly creative about how I lit it or, but I did it, I executed it very well. And, the hotel liked it and they actually, I think they used it in an ad. And within maybe two days, I had had three bookings from that hotel for couples for that, for that hotel. And all three of them said to me, we want that shot. We saw your picture in the paper. We love it. We want that shot. And actually that has become a bit of a crutch. And I can talk a little while about how I kind of tried to work around that. But I kind of realized, okay, there's actually something in shooting these well and showing them. And then, you know, you, they say to shoot what you like to shoot or show what you like to shoot as well. And I was kind of lucky that the thing that was pr uh, profitable to show, let's say, was also the thing that I like to shoot. So it kind of started, you know, that picture at that wedding was probably the turning point where I kind of realized there's a business side of this as well. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. The more I showed them, the more people wanted them. And the more I was getting booked to stay late, the more I got to practice. And, you know, it just all, it, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense. I think it's brilliant. And, I, and I've always loved that for the, that kind of, as a few episodes ago, I was chatting to Neil, Neil Redfern, who are kind of similar, really, right? Quite obsessive about Flash. And I don't, I don't, yeah. mean, I don't mean obsessive as a, a derogatory term. I think it's a good thing to be obsessive about stuff. Uh, well, let's go passionate then. Let's go passionate, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all right. Uh, but he was very much the same in that 99% of what he does is not Flash work or, you know, maybe a lower figure than that, but he realized that that was kind of his unique selling point, it, the way he was able to work with Flash. And I, th I guess what you're saying is you kind of realize the same thing in that you had this passion for Flash images that not everybody else was doing, or maybe not anybody else was doing at that, at that time. Because you're talking about multiple off-camera flashes at a time when it was still, it wasn't really as accessible as it is now. Yeah, uh, it was hard to even get them to talk to each other sometimes. You know, yeah. yeah, without running down a brand like Pocket Wizards, but um, they were not they, they were not always the most reliable of flash triggers. That would no, and even before even before Pocket Wizards, I was using the Nikon CLS, you know, the the optical lighting thing where they all had to see each other, and 
you know, that was fun. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a one shot composite in a way, with the way you're thinking of it, in that uh, some some other people might, you know, composite several shots together that that bit's that thing's lit, that thing's lit, that room is lit. I love the fact you lit up a, inside of a room because the light wasn't on just to, I hate that. That's the most annoying thing when you're at like a stately home type venue and one one light is off in the top corner. Yeah. Uh, that's brilliant. Um, but you're, what you're talking about is just a, basically achieving that in one shot. But how did that then become your sub-brand that is now a shot in the dark? Is it just come from really pushing that element of the business because you realized it was going to get your business? Yeah. And actually, I can kind of point to another wedding where I realized, you know, I should bring this forward more to the fore, if you like. So I, I was shooting a wedding in, in Boulder Island Resort, Cork again. Um, I don't shoot all my weddings in Cork, by the way, just key ones, obviously. And I am from Cork, so I, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. always happy to mention Cork. But uh, I was walking down with the couple, bringing them down for their shot in the dark. And the bride said to me, you know, you've been great all day, but to be honest, this is the only reason we booked you. A part of me kind of was like, could take that as a as an insult almost. It's like, we don't care about anything you've done. You've worked your ass off today and we don't care about any of that. We just want this night shot. But that's not how it was said and that's not the spirit it was mentioned either. But I did realize like there probably are couples out there that all they want is the thing that I'm doing that they know they can't get from the other 20 photographers' websites they've looked at, you know. And uh, people are doing more night shots. And I think where I do distinguish myself is just the, the fact that I'll push that shot a bit further. And, you know, that's why I have literally do bring 12 flashes to a wedding because it gives me the scope to just keep adding light as I see fit. And it just doesn't constrain my imagination, you know. So, but it was, uh, I, I think after that wedding, I thought I should. And also the other side of it, to be fair, is, and nine dots is something to do with this, photographers coming to me and saying, do you give courses in this kind of stuff? And I did want to brand the idea of the teaching side of it or the workshops it's something that wasn't just on my wedding website so i kind of i had this i actually watched a netflix series called a shot in the dark which was about these guys in the in los angeles who drive around at night to get footage for the morning news programs it's a really good really good yeah, series yeah, I've seen it. and i thought that was a clever name and i remember just having a google one day at shot at dark.ie the, the website because the domains here in ireland are .ie and it was available and it was like and I think a shot in the dark.com was available too. And I was like, oh, this all really works well. So I thought it's catchy. I like it. So, you know, it was kind of probably, and I, this is all around the time I was going to speak at Nine Dots. So I knew after that, I'd probably have people talking about workshops and do you do mentoring and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of was as much that, but I realized it's a catchy name. And now when I send out a PDF to couples with packages and prices, you know, I have the extended option of, staying through dinner and dancing and that includes a shot in the dark and i kind of have it as capital letters and it's a brand you know so it kind of it works well and people refer clients refer to it now yeah uh, yeah i think it's genius i think it's genius although copyright infringement you stole it from a netflix show <laughs> well yeah i know i'm i am married to a, <laughs> a, a patent attorney so i you know i'll have representation if it ever arises will be checked out so the brand was first was first just for the just for the training side of your business. Yeah. And you know, the website is still focused that way. But I'm also aware that couples do look at these things. Being able to show your teaching is actually a really good thing for getting somebody to have confidence in your skill. But it's not as so it just as an aside, it's not as normal in, in Ireland, is it, to stay for dinner and dancing as it maybe is over here? Um it's probably getting more normal. I think I spoke about this when I was at Nine Dots. I think the wedding day here runs later, um, generally speaking, than what I understand is the case over there. So 
you know, it wouldn't be unusual for me to have a nine as a first dance at ten thirty or eleven o'clock. I've had a first dance at like half past twelve. So I think practically speaking for a lot of photographers, they just, you know, by six o'clock they're kind of thinking, Well, I don't really want to be driving home at ten o'clock at night. I think it's becoming more normal. I think people are realizing there's more more photographers than the same amount of couples that they have to kind of fight in that bigger, you know, the pool and are just adding on coverage to try to get in work. So it is becoming more normal, but I'd say maybe 50% now might stay late, but pretty much everybody, I think, would uh, sell it rather than do an all-day thing as a norm, you know, and even I don't do an all-day thing as a norm. I've thought about it where I just kind of have one package, which is me from start to finish or start to, you know, first half an hour dancing. But for me, I like the fact that couples make a conscious decision to have me stay late because I know then they're buying into one of the reasons I'm staying late is for the, the shot in the dark. And the first hand shots, you know. Well, I mean, that must work all right in the winter when it goes dark at four o'clock at night. But what about when you do you still get booked to do the shots in the dark midsummer when it's not going dark until ten eleven p.m.? Yeah, yeah, and um, you know that can be a challenge. Uh, I I actually have enjoyed the fact that I've had a summer of not doing that. It occurred to me in July or the end of June when it was like bright at ten o'clock. It's like you know I don't kind of miss the you know fighting the light here, but. At the same time, um, in the winter, anyone can do it. And in the summer, you kind of have to have the commitment to do it. So I like that aspect of it too, you know. Yeah. Have you ever used all 12 flashes on a shot? Uh, yeah, once I think I have. And it wasn't a good shot, to be honest with you, because it, I think I set out to do it. And I probably let the gear drive the picture rather than the picture drive the gear, you know. So I, I kind of checked that box. And I, I, I remember saying to the videographer at the wedding, I think I should do a shot where I use all 12. And I lit a huge space and the couple are like really, really tiny and you can barely see it there because I, I was so focused on the 12 shots or the 12 flashes and, and everything they're lighting up, you know. So yeah, I, I did, but I probably shouldn't have had. Yeah. I mean, there's a lesson in there as well, isn't there? I mean, but sometimes yeah. you've got to go a bit too far to, to rein yourself back in. <laughs> and yeah, what totally. It's, totally. it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about the return to work and the return to weddings and. In a way, the most challenging thing I could do to myself now when I go back to weddings is limiting myself to one flash for a shot in the dark. Or, you know, I, I'm huge admirers of your place studios and the fact that they don't shoot flash at all. And I'm kind of thinking, like, having built this whole thing up and having booked weddings with it, like, I'd love the challenge of trying to give couples that same experience, but with a whole different kind of um, approach, you know. But I'm not sure I'll ever... I, to be honest, if I do that, I'll probably have to do it the same way I fell into this, which is get the shot that they are booking me for and expecting, but then kind of go, can I try one other thing and do a quick experiment and, and you know, try an available like some shot or turn off all but one flash or something. And, and maybe then I start to find my way into that. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, there's a good chance I'm going to try to do that whenever I get back shooting just to kind of keep it interesting. Um, I like that we're talking about both extremes of the wedding photography scale as well. We're talking about York Place zero flashes and Rona yeah. 12 flashes. I'm not sure anybody takes more than 12 flashes to win. I think you win that, you win that title. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, like we always say in Nine Dots, really, like it's always been a mantra that wedding photography can be whatever you want it to be. And you're talking about you know you and them who are both doing it the way that you're passionate about doing it and have got yeah. solid businesses as, as a result. So, yeah, I mean, I, I remember hearing you speak at the at Nine Dots Gathering and I've, I've always taken four flashes to weddings and thought that's quite a lot. And leaving <laughs> after your talk, thinking, I need more. I'm going to need more flashes here. 
And I came back and bought two more, and I've never used the extra two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, they're there for when one of them breaks or whatever. I mean, I've asked a couple of people on here uh, what they might have done differently in the last few years if they'd known a pandemic was going to hit. Have you? Is that something you've thought about? Like maybe if if somebody told you three years ago this was definitely going to happen, what how you might have re-engineered your business in the meantime? I think, yeah. So one thing I've never done is I've never shot an elopement or, uh, you know, that two, four-person wedding kind of thing. And I think I think I probably would have picked up work since March if I was showing that kind of stuff or able to show that kind of stuff. So that might be one. But then, to be honest, one of the things I like about shooting a wedding is not the couple, it's the guests. And the, it's the, the, the weddingness of the wedding, if you like. You know, um, I never do engagement shoots. Well, rare, very rarely do engagement shoots because it's just not my passion, you know. Um, I like my couples, but I kind of say to them, look, I want you to spend your day with your guests, not with me. And I want to spend the day with your guests, not with you. So in a way, from a pure, pure business sense, if I was to say, what could have got me work in this time? Maybe having shot smaller and smaller weddings and just elopements and appeals to that market of people who are going to go, and go okay, it's just the two of us, but we're happy to go ahead and do a city centre wedding. Funny that you mention the guests, because if I remember rightly, I mean, photographers have this, this like a big thing these days. Photographers do their best of blog posts, slideshows. Uh, and if I remember rightly, you did something a little bit different with yours last year in that you put a slideshow together that was only photos of guests, no brides and grooms. It was important for me to kind of show have something to show couples that that spoke to what I tell them when I talk to them, because I'm you know you've pointed to it yourself. I show the night shots a lot, right? And what I find when I do meet a couple or talk to a couple is I need to almost undersell that and just go, look, I do that. We'll do that for your wedding. Absolutely, I'd love to do that for your wedding, but I need you to understand the rest of the day as well. And that is one shot, and it quite literally is usually just one image that they're going to get out of 500 images is that night chat so i kind of needed a way to show that rather than just say it you know what i mean and i also had people saying to me um your documentary stuff is actually you know really good and you should show that more and you know i kind of have had that tug of war between showing the documentary stuff but wanting to keep the business side of showing the night shots going so it was a way for me to do that. So I pulled out, I think it was 180 or 200 shots. And my rule was it can't have bride or groom. It can potentially have bridesmaids, groomsmen, but it has to be shots that weren't staged or of them and as much the guests as possible, even not, not, you know, as little family as possible. I wanted it to be about all the people on the table plan that aren't sitting up near the top of the room, basically. And I enjoy doing it and it, it has got me business. And I have had people reference it when they, come to the site or they send an inquiry you know we love what you we love your night shots but we love the way you photograph the guests and that's kind of validated it for me so i, th- I think i well this is probably not the year to do it again but <laughs> the, the best times this year are going to be quite short but um i i think it's something i'd like to do again yeah yeah again i just think it's a, it's just another example of being in tune with the business element and you're obviously really passionate about capturing that and i think showing it and showing it in a way that that's boils it down to only that. It's a genius marketing move. And I, yeah, I, I'm not sure I call myself a genius now, but it, it, it just was an idea that kind of I had had in my head and I just needed to kind of scratch that itch a little bit, you know. And the thing is, I, I, I didn't flag at the start that this was just going to be a slideshow guests. I kind of put in the last slide was 35 weddings, 200 pictures, no bride, zero bride, zero grooms was kind of the, the way it finished. And what I think, I, what I hoped it would show was that Wedding photography can be wedding photography without needing a bride and a groom in there, you know, 
Um, and that if I was to distill my kind of the essence of what I'm trying to do with my photography down, it would actually be that, you know, it would be like I, I you said to couples, I'm, I'm a wedding photographer, I'm not a bride and groom photographer. So I want to photograph your wedding. I want us to spend the minimum amount of time together. And you know, going back to the shot in the dark, that is my get out of jail there. Because if I, if I only spend 10 minutes with a couple in the middle of the day, and if I'm not really getting any, it's like a, a portfolio shot or a wild shot. I know I have that to come back to later on, you know, so it kind of eases the pressure for me a little bit as well. And then I get more time with guests and I get more time to do those kind of shots. So it kind of all ties in. And, you know, I'm, I'm at this going on 11 years. So it's not like it's, it's something that I've found my way to quickly, but it is, you know, it's something that kind of has finally kind of clicked for me. Yeah. Amazing. And also amazing to know that you're happy with your work as it is, but also you're thinking ahead and thinking of how you're potentially going to evolve it and change it next year and beyond as hopefully we come out of the other end of, you know, what's been a fairly difficult year. Ronan, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Dotcast. Thanks for the chats. It's been very interesting and uh, definitely some some good old golden nuggets in there. So no, thanks for being a part of it. All right, hit it. Thanks again to Ronan Palliser for this episode. Quite a technical chat list, but loads of insight that I hope you found useful. Find Ronan at ronanpalliser.ie and on Instagram. You can listen to previous episodes of the Dotcast on your preferred podcast platform. And to find out more about membership and the Nine Dots Gathering, head to nine-dots.co. New balls, please.